Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we, we covered last week. I read them to you again to bring them to remembrance. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, Amen. that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We've been taught from this passage that we can have the power to live victoriously in this world. That power comes from knowledge of God and of Christ. You've heard knowledge is power in the world, but only if it's the knowledge of God for life and godliness, as in this passage. Today, we will take up the passage that was taught to us back in August of 2014, once again, for a moment, just for a topic, just to set the table. And that is the topic of girding up the loins of our minds. In 1 John 2:16 on Wednesday brother Jonathan said uh, reminded us for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world. We've been taught that sin lies and lust lies to us. And our brother Adam reminded us from James this morning that it is earthly and sensual wisdom to think that we can have striving and envy and hatred of any kind in our hearts. It is lying to the Lord and it's lying to yourself if you harbor those things in your heart. How does sin and lust lie as a reminder? They say they'll bring us great pleasure. They say that God doesn't really care about your sins. He's forgiven them all anyway. They say there won't be any real consequences to those sins. They say that you can do whatever you want to do. It's your life. And they say that everyone does it and gets away with it anyway, so why not? But remember that shiny can of Red Bull with the little bit of arsenic in it that Castro put there, if that strikes fear in your heart? And the president and the joint chiefs of staff stood up and told you and warned you that that arsenic was killing people all over the world and you should avoid it? and the poor young man who wasn't sure what he should do with that information, we don't live in this world without instruction from God about what we should do with Amen. sin and lust. Right. And we will take every thought captive today in order to consider those secret things in our own hearts, in our own thoughts, that we need to take captive because that's worse than arsenic and Red Bull. Right. Arsenic and Red Bull will dismiss you to be with the Lord like that. That's a good thing. It's these sins in our hearts that we read about in uh, 1 John 2.16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are uh, sins that are often outward, seen outward, but it's those thoughts that are inside that we're going to consider today. Amen. You have a choice. Sin does lie, but God has warned you in the Bible how to avoid it. And you've been thoroughly warned about sin's deception and your heart's deception. But you can have, or you have been told that the power to live victoriously comes from knowledge from the Bible. So how do you go from loving God and wanting to serve Him into outer darkness? 
like some have done. That's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid it at all costs. Does it happen because some giant catastrophe occurs in your life and suddenly you just say, forget it, I'm going to throw it all away and go follow the world? No, brothers, that is not how it happens. It's a subtle and pervasive and persistent and sneaky thing that does it over time. And that is the thoughts inside yourself. They are deceptive. We're going to look at five actions today that we can take. Five things that we can do to deliver us from sin, to resist sin and the devil, and deliver us from our own thoughts and live victoriously in this life. First, girding up. Then, examining self. Then, taking captive. And then, encouraging self. And finally, living by faith. These five things. First, girding up. We've said it a few times already this morning. 1 Peter 1.13 is where we get the verse, and we've had it preached to us. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was a creative metaphor, and our brother told us about this fisherman who, you know, you might not think of a fisherman as waxing poetic very often. But by the power of the Holy Ghost, he gave us this metaphor. It's wonderful. To gird is to encircle with a belt, to put on a belt, to make ready, especially for intense activity, such as a war or a battle. And this action is spoken of often in the Bible. It's not rare, but this is the only place where it is spoken of about our mind. And that's what makes the metaphor so much more powerful, because our minds, of course, can't have a belt on them. But it is a preparation for battle. A girding up of your mind is a preparing for battle. The application of this metaphor then is to be ready for quick and efficient battle by making preparations in your thoughts and ruling them accordingly. Mental discipline is what it's about. It's having control over those things that you think about so that you can manage them effectively. <clears throat> An example of this application is in James 1. 1 and 2. If you're there still from reading earlier, or feel free to turn to James chapter 1, we'll see something that I think our brother Joel was mentioning in uh, the comments before his passage in Corinthians. And we have James' commentary on it here as well. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What good would James' warning be coming about temptations without knowing how to respond? Yes, there are temptations coming, but we need to be ready to respond to them. The knowledge is helpful, so what are you going to do about it? Gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready. Have your thoughts ready. Have them in order so that you're ready when those temptations come. James says, knowing this, it's wonderful. God wants us to know something. And he gives us some a way that we can respond properly. When trials th- come, we can have thoughts that will get us down. They can discourage us. Our own thoughts. People don't have to say anything to us to discourage us. We can say it to ourselves and do it to ourselves very well. But knowing God can bring them as a good father with good intentions toward us 
can help us prepare in advance to rule our thoughts and to trust God in those trials. So how can we expand on this further for our comfort, uh, for our, for our soul's comfort? Well, if you look back at James chapter one and verse two in your online Bible on your computer, which you don't have right now, but probably, you can click on that verse and there's a little hashtag and you can click on it and another window pops up. And then there happen to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 references for that verse that you can hit 30 different verses there and encourage your heart. We have such great tools today, brothers, in order to encourage our hearts. If you can't, if you don't have, like I often don't, the mental capacity to memorize those 30 verses that are over on the right-hand side, it's okay. You've got a tool. What a wonderful thing. Let's gird up the loins of our mind and use every resource that we have. These verses bring immediate comfort to us. Here's just a few. I, I, I put down three out of the 30 here. For an example, if you think about James 1 that I just read to you, James 1, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Matthew 5.10, the Lord said, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't that excite you? Jesus said that you are blessed if you have temptations. Then Romans 8.18, Paul says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. You're facing a little temptation, but Paul says there's going to be glory revealed in you because of this trial that you're going through. And then Romans 8.35, just down the page a little bit from there, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? These verses are there to encourage and comfort us, and it's a way that we gird up the loins of our minds. It's not a strange or, or um, even if you think of the world today, how it always um, goes to psychology, right? It always says, well, you need a little therapy. You need to sit down and, and spill your guts to somebody with a Ph.D. so that they can give you comfort and help you manage your thoughts. You don't need that. You have the words of the living God here to help you examine yourself and bring those thoughts into captivity. <clears throat> and that's our next topic examining ourselves. We have a responsibility to examine ourselves. We read it already this morning in Psalm 139 at the opening. I read it to you. Search me, O God, and know my heart, David said. He cried out to the Lord. Now, if you're hiding sin from the Lord, it's not going to be a wise thing for you to do to go before the Lord and ask him to search you and know your heart. So I hope you confess your sins before you do that or that if he reveals sins that you didn't know about, you're ready to confess them because you're asking him, as David did, try me. We just read that there will be diverse trials that come. There will be temptations that come. Here, David is saying, try me. And certainly he means try me in the sense of like a judge tries a case. But he also means try me and know my thoughts. Look inside me. Hear, think about and hear my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and then there's a prayer. And lead me in the way everlasting. We examine ourselves, but we ask the Lord to examine us and to open to our eyes and to our conviction that we might walk according to His design and according to His will. Right. What thoughts do you think that you know are destructive? You know what they are. You know your destructive thoughts if you pause and think about it. Can we categorize these thoughts Let's say there are three categories 
to our thoughts that we think. We think about self, those thoughts that we think about ourselves, and we think about others, and we think about God. And there aren't really many others that are worth thinking about. Yes, you might have thoughts about creation and and so forth. You may have thoughts about your job, but it all pertains to yourself, others, or God. Well, let's explore these three areas of our thoughts for a moment. We're going to examine ourselves. I'm going to examine myself while I'm standing here before you, and I hope that you take some time to think about examining yourself as we go through these. What about thoughts of yourself? These are the things that you think about you, who you are, what you do, why you do what you do, perhaps even what others think about you. But these are thoughts about yourself. These thoughts can lead to some things. They can lead to fear. And they can lead to depression and moodiness and destruction if you don't manage them. But right thoughts about self, which come from the Bible, are a balm to the soul and build your faith. So you have two cho- You have a choice. You have two things you can choose. You can have thoughts that destroy you or tend toward destruction. Or you can have thoughts that build you up and tend toward life. Thoughts about self from the Bible is what we want to do, but let's examine those thoughts that might not be from the Bible. We said from John, uh, or 1 John 1, that there are three types of sins. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Well, perhaps one of the biggest sins of our uh, thinking about ourselves, our thoughts about ourselves, is the pride of life. Prideful thoughts, puffed up, thinking too highly of yourself, having a a high opinion of yourself, it's a sin. It's called out in Scripture. How does it manifest itself? It starts in your thoughts and what you think about yourself. If you think soberly and remember that your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, you can consider, what are my thoughts saying about me? And, you know, this whole process of thinking about your thoughts and thinking outside of yourself might sound schizophrenic, but if you really consider it, it's throughout the Bible. David especially talks to himself. I hope you got a chance to read either Psalm 42 or Psalm 43, either of which has one or two of this, where he says, where he's talking to his soul. And, he, and he's saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's speaking to his own soul. Well, think about your own heart and your own thoughts. You do have a choice. What if you fear in your own thoughts about yourself that you're not a child of God? That can be a fear for some. Why? Have you gird up the loins of your mind and remembered that God said you could assure yourself by righteousness? That's right. That's the antidote to any thought such as that. Crush those negative thoughts and believe the Bible. Amen. We've often seen and maybe heard, and I hear tell from, because I've listened to a few uh, old sermons about this topic this week. Somebody, maybe they still do, I haven't seen it, has a bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Is that bumper sticker still in our parking lot? I don't know who had it, but someone had it. It was mentioned in a sermon. That's where our thoughts ought to be. That's how we rule our thoughts. What does God's Word say about that? We capture that thought, we think about it, and we we subject it to God's Word. Any thoughts that you have that tend or lead towards withdrawal, Withdraw from the brethren, withdraw from your spouse, withdraw from your children. Uh, any thoughts that, that tend towards depression, feeling down, feeling sad in an inappropriate manner, or any kind of inactivity, 
like, you know, I just, I just don't feel like going tonight. I can't stir myself up to go to, to meet the saints tonight. It's too much for me. Any of those thoughts are lying thoughts from the devil. Amen. They're not godly thoughts. Amen. Reject them. Stir yourself up. Joel read that Paul was troubled. He was perplexed. He was persecuted and he was even cast down. Those are true. Nobody's denying that those happen to godly men. Paul certainly said they happened. But he put a limit on each and every one of them. He was not distressed. He was not despairing. He was not forsaken. He wasn't destroyed. Yes, he had passions. We know that there were prophets that had passions and we have like passions. All of us do. But we take those passions, those thoughts, and we capture them. Jonathan read that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he got up and got going. He didn't encourage himself on the Lord and then sit back down in his thoughts. In fact, what he did was he went to the Lord. He went and asked the Lord, what shall I do? And the Lord said, pursue. And he pursued and he was successful. And he overcame and he got his family back and he got the families of all those back that wanted to stone him. And then they had a change of heart, didn't they? I hope you got to read that last night. The sons of Belial said, we got all this stuff to ourselves. We don't want to give it to the guys that were left behind by the stuff. They don't deserve it. We fought for this. And David's spirit was completely different. He said, of course, no, we're going to divide it. They're going to take part in it. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with your thoughts that you think any of this stuff is yours anyway? The only reason it came to your hands is because the Lord prospered us. Amen. And so it's going to fall to your brethren as well. Those sons of Belial were quite generous, weren't they? Oh, well, they can have their wives and children, I guess. But we're going to keep all the gold and the, and the, um, the goats and the camels. David had a different heart. He ruled his thoughts, and he was prepared for situations like that. That's why he was the great king of Israel. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. But we can remember the goodness of God and his promises when we get in a situation like that, like David did. You know, David <clears throat> quenched the fiery darts by faith. It doesn't say that right there, but it says it throughout the rest of the Bible. That's how we quench those fiery darts of the devil is by our faith. Believing that God said it, and so we can believe it, is faith. And you remember from a few weeks ago when I preached on Psalm 27, the passage that said to be of good courage, to see the Lord in the land of the living. That's having faith. It's when you have distress or trials in your life and you're struggling with your thoughts that you need to be of good courage. He's not saying you have good courage. He's not saying go look for good courage. He's saying do it. Be it. Put it on. Just like you put on the new man, put on courage. Stir yourself up in it. Get up and go. Just like David launched into battle as soon as he got direction after he encouraged himself. So we have thoughts about ourselves, and those thoughts can destroy us just from within. But then we have thoughts of others. Let's think about and consider these thoughts that we might have toward others. You know, the things that you think about others are just as strictly ruled as the thoughts about yourself. In fact, perhaps more so, because they have a damaging effect on those around you. If you want to think to yourself and destroy yourself, good for you. Just stay out of our way and don't bring us down with you. But if you're going to think negative thoughts about others and spread that disease, then please go somewhere else because it's poison. It's worse than the arsenic in the Red Bull. If you look at the outward appearance, you're guilty of evil thoughts, it says in James. 
When the man came in with gay apparel, they gave him the high seat, said, please sit up here. But the man that came in that was kind of trashy and had ragged clothes, they put him in the back and said, you just stay back there. They judged by appearance. That's not judging righteous judgment. And you're not capturing every thought for the glory of God. What you should do is think the best of every single person, even the worst believer, in your opinion, is a child of God and brother in the family of God. Remember that God chose the foolish and the weak and the base and the poor like you and like me. If you have any advantages over others, get down. Because those came from God. Just like those sons of Belial, if you think that any advantage that you have is yours, then you're like them and not like David. So put your thoughts down. Don't be a fool. Get off your high horse. Because God gave you those abilities and those talents or gifts or situations or whatever it is. Whatever thought exalts itself about others you putting, you putting yourself above others. It's a thought about yourself, but it's a reflection on others and how you reflect on others. You know, our church is perfected by each soul that is brought into it by the Holy Ghost. God brings each individual soul into this church and plants it like a tree for his forest to grow in the way that he has desired and he has thought. And he didn't consider or uh, consult your thoughts about it. They're here. And so your duty is to love them and consider them a brother or sister in Christ and encourage and exhort them. Take those thoughts captive. You know, your thoughts about others should be elevating them and diminishing you in your thoughts, in the things that you think in your own self, in your own thoughts. You know, Ephesians 4 gives us uh, an admonition. And you might consider this to be, well, okay, so I'm going to say, I'm going to, you know, rent a couple of books from the library. I guess you don't have to pay for them if it's the library. I'm going to check out a couple of books. I haven't done that for so long, I forgot how it worked. I'm going to look online, and I'm going to find some encouraging words that I can say to someone. And and I just want to be, you know, make everybody happy around me. That is not the intention. It's the thoughts that you have about people will be reflected in the things that you ultimately say, because out of the heart springs forth the well of life or the bitterness of your heart. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love those verses. If you have a household of children, you love those verses too, and you use them frequently, like you do Philippians 2, 3 and 4, which is, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. My children have heard that a few times. But in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Notice these are thoughts. These instructions from Paul are about what you're thinking inside, not your actions. Certainly it it manifests itself in action, but let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, (coughs) excuse me, but in lowliness of mind. What are you thinking about yourself? Are you doing something out of haughtiness of mind? towards someone else or out of lowliness of mind towards someone else. These are the thoughts in your own heart, elevating others around you. We've heard the acronym JOY. Jesus first, others next, and you last, right? It's putting yourself in that order, getting down with all lowliness and meekness. 
We hear that charity is the bond of perfection, and that's in your thoughts as well as in your action. It's charity towards others. It's Let's turn there, 1 Corinthians 13. It is the epitome of our thoughts uh, described in the description of what charity is in 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> and th- we know this, uh, I hope we know this, these verses well, 4 through 7, about what charity is. But think about, as, we, as I read these words to you, that again, how much of Scripture is about our thoughts? You know, it, re- it revealed to me, as I did this study, much of what Scripture is telling us is really about how we think and what we think. Right. It's instructing us how to think and what our thoughts should be or what our thoughts should not be. And here we have what our thoughts should be or what they should not be. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Many of those are thoughts. If you start with the first one, suffereth long. How are you long-suffering? By keeping your mouth shut or by saying encouraging words when something's going badly. Long-suffering, suffering long, and kind. Kindness certainly comes by words and actions, but it starts in the heart and what you're thinking towards others. Envy is a terrible, terrible sin of the thought life. That's what drove Saul to want to kill David, was envy. He knew that David was a better man than he was. He knew that he was blessed of God. He knew that the kingdom had been ripped out of his own hands and was going to be David's because he said so to Jonathan when Jonathan defended him, when Jonathan defended David. Saul said, don't you know that David's going to take your place? as the king. Saul knew that, and that envy drove him mad, insane. He wanted to kill David. David was his best man. There was nothing that David would do, and he proved it over and over again to harm Saul when, when in his kingdom and his, in his authority. Envy is terrible. And we could go on through each of these, but I won't do that because we're not, I'm not preaching on charity today. But you think to yourself, well, you know, other people can hurt me. And the older you get, the more prone that you can be to realizing that fact, because they will. Other people will hurt you. And those that can hurt you the worst are those that are the closest to you, because they've got the most um, power over you, if you will. So who could those be? Well, it could be your wife or your husband, right? It might be a child or a parent. It might be a grandparent or a friend or a teacher or an employer or an employee of yours, or another church member, or a neighbor. People can hurt you. And so you might think about these thoughts that you have toward others. Are your thoughts tending toward being protective of yourself, of not opening yourself up to the opportunity to serve others, which you're commanded to do in the second greatest commandment, as our young brother Jonah prayed in the back room today. Jesus gave us two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and he's not going to hurt you, and love your neighbor as yourself, and they are. 
they might. And so what are you doing with those thoughts about these people that you have to deal with, with whom we have to do? We have to have, we have relationships. The ones that are closest to us might hurt us. Are you, are you thinking thoughts that are going to tend toward charity, thinking about all of those things in the list of charity we just read? Or are you closing yourself off and shutting down relationships that the Lord may have there for you because you're scared? You're feel, fearful of that pain that could be coming. That's your thoughts towards others. We, we have thoughts about ourselves, and those can cause fear and destruction. And we have thoughts about others that can keep us at arm's length with others instead of being the uh, tree of life that the Lord wants us to be to those that are around us. You know, somebody might hurt you. Somebody might step on your toes, or they might really hurt you. It might, it might really cause you a lot of pain. And I'm not talking about physical pain, emotional pain. You have two choices, basically. The Bible gives you two. The first one is you can ignore it and be glorious. And that's hard. If You wouldn't be glorious if it wasn't hard. Just like it's not glorious for a man to lose control of his spirit, he's like a city that his walls broken down, right? That's not glorious. It's glorious to keep that those walls up and keep that city protected by ruling your spirit. Likewise, if somebody offends you, hurts you, you might think, well, yeah, I remember the pastor talking about that jigsaw and the cord that got ripped off, right? And I can look, I can, I'm pretty big. I can overlook that. That's my, my prize jigsaw, but I'm, I've got, I'm tough. What if it's something different than that? What if it's your husband or your wife that has done something to harm you? What if they did something to really harm you? I'll just let your imagination run. That's, that causes fear. It causes trembling. And your thoughts toward that person, I mean, you can ignore it and, and overlook it, and that might not be possible. So Jesus gives us an opportunity to deal with it. And so that is you carefully confront and reconcile with them. That's your choice. Overlook it or take care of it. It's certainly not talking about it with others and getting bitter over it because that bitterness is just like what destroyed Saul. Bitterness destroyed Saul's soul, and it will destroy yours. If you're offended, it's why we're not to come. Next week, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. If you come to that table with any, any bitterness toward a brother in your heart, you're sinning against the Lord, and you're at risk for death or sickness based on the authority of 1 Corinthians 11. So we cannot let those things fester in our thoughts, in our hearts. Destructive as they are, they're like murder. That's what the Lord Jesus compared them to. Sinful, bitter thoughts against others that have offended us are like murder. So stop those thoughts. Cut them off. If you can't stop them by ignoring them and letting it go and being glorious, then take care of it with the person and be totally reconciled with them. And then cut those thoughts off and forgive them. Because you can forgive, forbear, and forget and be thankful when the opportunity comes to be able to do that. Brother Jonathan and our sister Sherry have given us a great example. When trials come and multiply, they've said, and I've heard, it, I've heard him say it more than once, that they're thankful the Lord has counted them worthy to have those trials right now and to have been through them. Can you be thankful to be counted worthy to have a sinner cause you a little bit of pain that you can overlook and forgive and forbear? Because it's glorious when you do. And it gives God glory. And by the way, 
He's forgiven you 10,000 talents. So what did they do to you? Remember that the beam that's in your own eye needs to be taken care of before you go out and pick that moat out of your brother's eye. It's, It's these thoughts about others. It's putting yourself down and thinking about yourself lower than others. Another way, another set of thoughts about others that we can consider is what are others thinking about us? And you know what's really sad is if you think about it, you're thinking thoughts about what you think others are thinking thoughts about you. And if you think your thoughts are screwed up, how is it that you're going to think the thoughts for somebody else and know that what it is that they think you think that they're thinking? See, it's already confusing enough when you have to think about your own thoughts. So don't worry about thinking about what other people's thinking thoughts are. Your first concern should be, what does God think about me? Not what others think about me. If He's pleased, then those that count will be fine with you. If they're not fine with you and you're confident that you're pleasing God, then don't worry because it's not worth it. Be careful that you're not surmising evil. That's the thinking that others are thinking evil thoughts. You know, how wicked are our hearts that we sit thinking evil thoughts about others. And, you know, here's the tendency. And this is this is my uh, wicked heart. It perhaps is like yours there. There's this thought in my heart that I know how wicked I am. How wicked are they? And are they thinking these same thoughts that I am? And if they are, that's really bad. You know, because you have a glimpse into this depravity in your own self and you know that everybody else has the wicked heart. If you're listening to preaching and you believe it, you know that it's true. But if you think that, if you start, and so stop that thought process now. If you haven't ever thought it before, I'm sorry I introduced it to you. But stop that process now. It's not productive and you don't know what that other person is thinking. And besides that, they're probably a better Christian than you are in meekness. And so they're probably having much more charitable thoughts than you are right now about them. So cut it out. If you're consumed about what others are thinking about you rather than what God is thinking about you, you're messed up. Don't. Rule your thoughts. You know, that was probably the thing that got me excited about preaching this to you today. It was when Brother Jonathan and August preached this passage. I wasn't here in 2006 on the three-part series about uh, your thoughts can destroy you. I recommend that. It's on the website and all three uh, sermons are recorded. But I, w- I was captivated by this idea that I could rule my thoughts. I, I know, I'm kind of dense, 45 years old, and just figured that out. I don't have to think the thoughts that come into my head. I can tell myself to stop thinking thoughts that come in. I know it's sad, but you can you cannot think those thoughts. I recall a conversation with my father. I'll not make this long. This will be short. Elementary school was terrible. I hated it. It wasn't school. It was all the people. If the people weren't there, I would have been fine. That's me. That's my fault. But I didn't get along well with others. It was always a, a negative in my report card um, because I, I just did my own thing, and they didn't like it. And by the way, I did love the Lord, and they didn't like that either. But that's not the point. I wasn't a gracious child, and I didn't understand it. But I did care about what they thought about me, and it ate me up. It destroyed me. And I didn't want to be at school anymore because I thought everybody hated me. 
I know, these, everybody has these thoughts. But I didn't know what to do about them. And they started bringing in school counselors and psychologists. And, you know, uh, this was before the self-esteem movement, so there wasn't much of that going on. The principal had a paddle in his office. It was those days, you know. Um, but my dad told me, don't worry about what other people think about you. Once he finally figured it out, what was bothering me, he said, don't worry about what other people think about you. You know, just let it, I don't know if he said this, just let it roll off your back like water off the, duck, the uh, back of a duck. Don't don't worry about it. Just forget what they said. I took that to heart. And I took it so much to heart that I basically shut everybody else out. And it worked. I got through school, but I was basically doing it without any real friends and without any true friendships, but with a very select few. But I basically ignored the thought and didn't think about any of those thoughts. So it was very effective. It wasn't the right approach to it. The right approach to it and it's still effective, is what the Word of God says. And that is, think about yourself, examine yourself, and hope and believe all things in your brothers around you. And when you do that, it opens you up rather than closes you down. So you rule your thoughts about what you think about others. All right, so we had thoughts about ourselves, and we had thoughts about others, and the third thing is thoughts about God. And this will be a little shorter, because we could fill a series about thoughts, our thoughts about God and and how we should think about him and what we do think about him. But let me give you a few thoughts about this as we move toward the end here. You know, we already know that reprobates never think about God. God is not in all their thoughts. They don't think about him at all. So they're not having thoughts, and that's not what we're talking. If you don't have any thoughts about God, I encourage you to go out. It's a sunny day. Hit the golf course. There's no reason for you to be here. If God, if you don't think about God, you're not a Christian. So just stop fooling yourself and don't lie to us anymore. That's not us. We're not reprobates. So let's think about our thoughts about God. Not that he's, uh, you know, we're not atheists and we certainly don't hate God. We're all here. But, you know, sometimes weak believers can get wrapped around the axle about their thoughts about God. You know, they think negative thoughts about God. You know, that he is, maybe, maybe he has negative thoughts toward you, that he's, out there to get you or destroy you or punish you or be severe toward you in some way. But those thoughts are lies. Right. You know, God doesn't want you thinking those thoughts about him. Yes. And I watched it this morning, that, that wonderful clip about the wrath of God. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're going to hell and that you're a young rogue. And you remember that it was, I don't know, it was a year or so ago that brother Jonathan put it in a link. It's wonderful. But it's not there to destroy us, and it's not there for our thoughts to be about God being a wrathful and vengeful God toward us, because he's not. You're only looking at half of the doctrine of the Bible, if you think that. that His wrath is for those that are, at the top of this page, reprobates that never think about God. If you're sitting here thinking about God, and God is in your thoughts, then forget those lies. They're from the devil, and they're from your wicked heart. Flush them. They're blasphemous thoughts, by the way. Are you accusing God? Are you causing in your thoughts, in your thoughts about God, are you accusing him of not being truthful with you? Because he said that he will never leave you or forsake you. And if you're saying he has, then you're accusing him, and that's not a good place to be. They're blasphemous thoughts. They're sent by the devil. 
They're to destroy you and to damage God's reputation if it would be possible for Him to do so. But you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And you can do it with Scripture. But you can do it with other things as well. God is the potter. We love that. I love that metaphor. It was used by the, by the prophets before. It was used by Paul in, um, in the book of Romans. God is the potter. Everything else is the clay. Everything. All people, all things are clay. Don't fret. Balance your view of God with Scripture. You know, if you, if you're fearful, if you think God is a wrathful God, don't go watch the wrath of God video that I was just talking about. Find something else to watch to balance your view of God because you're imbalanced. You don't think he can forgive you? His thoughts are higher than yours. Think his thoughts. He can and does forgive you. He has forgiven you. Isaiah 55. Turn there. Read it. You think he won't extend his mercy? He knows your frame, that you're dust. You think he won't give you the desires of your heart? He's better than the best father. He gives good gifts. Perfect gifts. Your thoughts can destroy you. Whether they're thoughts about yourself, thoughts about others, or thoughts about God, they can destroy you. You must think about your thoughts and capture them. And that's what we're going to move to next. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. You know, your thoughts are not your own. You may have heard it preached, and sometimes it might seem trite that it says, you're not your own, you were bought with a price. And I, and I don't, it isn't trite. Right. You are not your own, and you were bought with the greatest price ever paid. Right. You're you, and, and you often maybe think of that as your body. Your body was redeemed, it was purchased on the cross of Calvary, but it wasn't just your body. Your heart, mind, soul, and body were all purchased at the cross Amen. of Calvary. And so you don't own your thoughts. They're not yours. Submit them to Jesus Christ. Paul is preaching here, is, is teaching here in 2 Corinthians 10 about his role as a minister of the gospel. And it's the role of our pastor to take every thought captive. Here in verse 5, Paul is describing what it is that he and the other uh, apostles and the other pastors are doing. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's the job of our pastor. But you have to apply it when he teaches it. You can't just hear it and say, oh yeah, yeah, casting, yeah, that's what he's doing. You have to do something about it. And so today, as we're thinking about our thoughts, you know, casting down imaginations. That's what our thoughts are, if you think of it that way. Our imaginations, right? The things that we conjure up within our own hearts, within our own, uh, whatever, the decision-making process. Our, maybe it's our soul. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. We can't, I can't divide it, but there's one who can. That's right. Wherever those thoughts come from, whatever they, they are, they're imaginations. And so Paul is saying, it's the job of the preacher to cast those imaginations down, to throw them down. Forget about your own thoughts and the things that you come up with. All imaginations, anything that is not according to God's Word is from your imagination or from the imagination of one who wants to destroy you. So cast them down and pick these up. 
any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. When we opened, we said that it was the knowledge of God. From last week, it's the knowledge of God and Christ that gives us power to live a victorious life. But it's our imaginations that, that mess that up, that we can't live victoriously. We need that knowledge, so we need to cast down those imaginations. And how do we do it? Bringing it into captivity. So you have a thought. We're going to gird up the loins of our mind. That's great. But what are we going to do? We're going to capture it. And that's what we've just done. I went through a list of three different things. Thoughts about self, thoughts about others, and thoughts about God. Capture them. Get a hold of them. Put them in handcuffs. Throw them in the slammer. And examine them under the hot light of Scripture. And if they're guilty, kill them. And if it's right, let them free and let them flow. Fill up your heart and your imagination with the Word of God. So what can we do? We, get, we have to consider those thoughts ourselves. They're, they're things that you can grasp, things that you can get a hold of, take captive. Uh, that's helpful. Once you've got it in captivity, subject that thought to Christ. What does God say? What does Jesus Christ think about this thought? And I'm not principally preaching here about you know, sinful thoughts of lust. Yes, we, it's appropriate to examine those. I'm really not talking about those today. We heard those Wednesday night. Capture those thoughts, too. But here we're not talking about those thoughts. Here we're talking about the thoughts that we just described. What am I thinking about that, brother? These are righteous thoughts. Or are they wicked thoughts that I need to throw away? Pray about it. Ask God to show it to you like David did. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Ask for power from the Holy Ghost to be delivered from destructive thoughts in your life. Pray about it. And, you know, think about this. Are there any thoughts being misdirected by your inputs? Our brother has been diligent in teaching the five inputs. So I'm not going to belabor those, but I'm going to remind you of them. Are there videos that you're watching that are building up a godly worldview? Or are they creating something else? Is there music that you listen to that are lifting your thoughts toward God in heaven or bringing you down? Do your friends bring you encouraging thoughts from God's Word, or are they bringing you earthly snares? Are you reading the Bible with the same desire that you have for your daily food? Do you hunger and thirst after the Bible and God's Word? And how is your prayer life? Is it stifled? Is it non-existent? Or are you growing with love for Jesus Christ because you're talking with Him every day? Take every thought captive. Don't just let life happen to you. It's an active process. If you just let life happen to you, it will. And it will destroy you. And your thoughts will destroy you. And so what should we do about these thoughts? Do what David did. David encouraged himself in the Lord is God. We've already had it. I hope you read it last night. Thank you, Brother Jonathan, for reading it again. I got a humorous text from him yesterday morning saying, Perhaps you weren't there, but I read this a couple of weeks ago, so I won't make a lot of comments about it. I said, I was here. I, I really was awake, and I did listen. So when I read First Samuel 30, and I thought, who can I have read this? That must have been why I thought of you, because you did a great job two weeks ago when you read it. Uh, the memory. I'll take that, cap, that thought captive and, and try to recall if I get the opportunity to assign any again. But... This thought, 
that David encouraged himself in the Lord as God. In a situation like that, that was true distress. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to, they wanted to kill their captain. You already know their sons of Belial. Just a few verses later, you know, they were fighting over the spoils that God had given to them. So you know their wicked hearts. David was surrounded by them, but he didn't go to any of his buds for encouragement. Uh, he didn't go, you know, to, um, any of the counselors in his court to, to cheer him up. He didn't call for somebody to play the harp for him like a wicked king did. David went to the Lord his God and encouraged himself there. Amen. It doesn't really say what he did in this particular passage, so we have to look to the rest of Scripture and figure out, well, how do you encourage yourself? It's great. Thank you for telling me to encourage myself. I don't know how to do that. Tell me how to do it. Well, what about, what, what, what has David done elsewhere? What do we think about? Is it, is it when he danced before the Ark of the Covenant? Was that a way that David encouraged himself before the Lord? That he was dancing? Um, with all his might, by the way. He didn't just kind of do a lukewarm dance. He did a foolish dance before the Lord. I'm not suggesting that's the way that we do it today. You can if you want. It's not here. That's one way that David encouraged himself in the Lord was to be joyous, to joyfully, exuberantly worship God in, in some way, in some fashion. What about paying for the sacrifice and building the altar? He wouldn't let, uh, can't remember the gentleman's name. Own, yes, he wouldn't let, and he said, here, take the oxen, take the yoke, burn them. No, there's going to be a cost for this. David paid for it. Is that the way he encouraged himself in the Lord? Um, what about taking up a collection and paying for the temple that his son would eventually build? Was that a way that he encouraged himself in the Lord? Of course, all of these are true. He attended the, the assembly of the worship faithfully with all the saints, and he loved the assembly from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, David wrote. So he encouraged himself that way. But I'll say that the thing that I think David did the most and that he is most known for when it comes to encourage himself is that he wrote the Psalms, most of them. He wrote the Psalms. He composed them, but he also sang them. And you know that he did more than that. He got a bunch of singers, men singers and women singers, and he got players, and he had quite a production, and he made a big deal about it. But he encouraged himself. You know, I often imagine David sitting out in, in the uh, sheep coat with his harp, uh, and that's not probably where he composed most of his psalms, but... Uh, but thinking about the peaceful pastures and the experience that he had sitting there, and then I think of the 23rd Psalm and the peace that he felt. If you've ever gotten an opportunity to sit out there by a brook and hear the babbling waters and see the rustling leaves in the tree, that's where David encouraged himself. He thought the thoughts of God and put pen to paper. I'm not suggesting that you need to be a psalm writer. God gave David a particularly talented gift, but you have all 150 of them at your fingertips, day in and day out. So if you're struggling with negative, negative thoughts, get to the book of Psalms. Not every psalm is appropriate for you if you're struggling with negative thoughts, so be wise. You can go down into a pit in a spiral if you grab the wrong psalm. Not all of them lift you up, and they're, they're not meant to in some cases, but most of them do. But better yet, it, you know, reading is one thing, and it's difficult to sing from our Bibles because of the translation, but get out a hymn book, hymn book and sing. Right. And you might say to yourself, I can't sing. I can't sing by myself. I love to sing with others. Whatever the case is, if you can't sing, then listen. Click on the website. There are ample resources there. 
And if you haven't found it, there's an opportunity for you to go to YouTube, and there's even playlists of a cappella hymns on YouTube that you can listen to if you need to be encouraged or hear something uh, different that you haven't heard before. Listen, you cannot sing or hear sung, It Is Well With My Soul, and have a cast-down soul if you're believing what you're singing. That's how you encourage yourself in the Lord. It's how David did it, I'm sure. I don't know if he had It Is Well With My Soul, that version of it, but he had hymns and psalms that he could sing, and he spoke to his soul. You know, I hope that uh, you, you did read, I think I mentioned already, Psalm 42, Psalm 43 last night. Psalm 43 is the shorter one. You can turn there if you want to. I'm just going to flip there quick and read verse 5 because it is, it is a, it's a speaking to yourself. Uh, Bryant said earlier, you know, when we come and we sing, we're singing with the purpose of encouraging one another. We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs edifying one another with the songs that we're singing. Edifying. Remember an edifice, brick by brick, is built up. So an edifice is something that is built up, and we're edifying one another when we do so. We build ourselves up in the Lord. David built himself up in the Lord by speaking to his soul and saying, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him who is the health of my countenance and my God. That's how you encourage yourself. And you can sing those songs and encourage yourself and build yourself up. Lastly, one other thing about encouraging yourself in the Lord. We're doing it today. You come here to the house of God with the purpose of building one another up. In fact, we're admonished to not neglect the assembly of the saints not, not neglect our assembling together here because we are here. I've lost my verse here. Here it is. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Right. We're here to exhort one another. Right. I'm giving you a little exhortation. There will be a lot better exhortation when, you, when I stop talking and you start talking to each other. That's the purpose of our assemblies. If that's not what you're doing, that's, then you're missing the point of the assemblies. So encourage one another today. <clears throat> okay, we had five things. This is number five, <clears throat> and that is living by faith. Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Living by faith. Hebrews tap, chapter 10, I'm starting at the last two verses. Remember, chapter breaks are not inspired. I'm going to ignore the chapter break. I'm going to read... Verses 38 through 11.6. Hebrews 10.38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. 
By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. Amen. Do you believe in God? Do you believe God? Do you believe His Scriptures and what we just read? Do you believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him? What can your thoughts do to you? They're not seen. You can't see your thoughts, but they can destroy you. Can you see the end from the beginning? I trow not. None but Jesus Christ can see the end from the beginning. He is Alpha and Omega. You cannot worry yourself into a better situation. It will not work. For you do not know the future, and you cannot change one hair, black or white, by your worry. They'll all turn gray or fall out, but you can't change them yourself. But you know, if you believe what we just read, who holds the future. You know that you can live by faith and that you can trust the one who holds you and your future in the palm of his hand. And you can trust that his divine providence will guide and protect you, and you can trust in his grace that he has poured out on you and your life because you are his beloved child. God does love you, precious child. His son loves you with an everlasting love that will not let you go. Run to Jesus and confess your wicked thoughts. They are sin. Flush them. Nail your bad thought habits to the cross. Stop that analysis of every person in your life. Get right with God. Hope in all things. Talk to yourself about the thought inputs that you have been putting into your life and that plague you. And separate yourself from your thoughts Separate yourself from your thoughts like David has done and use your conscience to be ready to call yourself a liar. When you think those thoughts, be ready to say, liar, you are lying to me. That is not according to the word of God and I will not think that thought. Do you hate vain thoughts? How much do you hate vain thoughts? I'm not talking about the things that the Mormons teach. I'm not talking about the things that the Baptists up the road teach. I'm thinking about your thoughts. Your vain thoughts are vain thoughts. And when we think Psalm 119, 113, I hate vain thoughts, those are the first thoughts you should be thinking of. Remember the thoughts and intents of your heart are naked and open unto Him with whom we have to do. There is nothing that He does not already know you are thinking. But that same Jesus, the Son of God, has been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And He is able to succor us. Run to Jesus. For your good and His glory, gird up the loins of your mind. Amen.